New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Well, thank you for indulging me one more week. I was going to stop last week, but I said I'm going to keep talking about this Israel trip for one last week. So I appreciate your kind words, and thank you for your uh, listening to it and, and taking sort of another trip to the Holy Land through my eyes and my memories, and I appreciate it very much. So today, on this last week of this sermon series, we will be talking about the Jordan River and the Judean Valley uh, and the desert uh, where Jesus spent some of his time. Of course, in this region, there are also many Old Testament implications that we could touch on, but we will primarily be focusing on what Jesus did and said in this area, as we have already read in the Scripture today. Uh, that formatting was thrown off a little bit. That is supposed to be Judean desert that you see there, but where you see the desert is still primarily where the Judean desert is located. In fact, if we zoom in just a little bit more, You'll see the Dead Sea there, almost in the middle of your screen. You'll see Jerusalem to the west. That red area is where the Judean desert would, is currently located, and still, of course, at the time when Jesus was wandering the wilderness. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. That area just west of, a little north, a little southwest of the Dead Sea that you see in the midst of your screen. We talked about passages that would have occurred around this area, one of those, of course, is the baptism of Jesus. And if you've ever known anyone who goes to the Holy Land, this is one of the sites that will almost always not just be visited, uh, but we participated in a baptism there on the Jordan River. Now, there is a park called the Jordan River Baptismal Place, as you see there. Uh, really, it's up more towards Galilee. This is probably not the area where Jesus would have been baptized. Jesus would have been baptized Further south, closer to Jericho, more towards the desert. So this is more towards a fertile area around the Sea of Galilee. But this is a park where Christians from all over the world come and take part in a baptism in the Jordan River in the same way as Jesus. So it's a very special time uh, for all of us. We gathered there. It's a humble place. I don't know if, about you, but whenever I hear about the Jordan River, I always thought, well, it must be like the rivers I've always lived around. So it must be like the French Broad River or the Ohio River. Well, it's actually a very small, quaint, slow-flowing green river. Uh, you can see all of the fertile area around it there. Once again, this is a little more north from where Jesus would have been baptized. But you can also see the rails and the places that are built there because... Thousands and thousands of people every year descend upon this location, not just to reflect on and think about Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, but to take part in baptism as well. And so our group did know differently. There are all of us gathering there in front of the Jordan River preparing to be baptized. Now, your first thought might be, Jeremy, you've already been baptized. What do you think you're doing? This was a re-baptism as an affirmation of our faith. Uh, so, in other words, when we descended into the Jordan River, and, and my professors, uh, Dr. Robert Kanoy and Dr. Anthony Nickbenaborg, 
baptized me and so many others, we were reaffirming our faith in Jesus Christ. We were remembering the commitment we made when we were baptized at whatever time that was. For me, I was 11 years old at Melbourne Heights Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. So I was thinking on that, but also thinking about Jesus being baptized as an act of obedience. And so we were reminded uh, of when we were baptized and made our profession of faith. Um, at that time, we all said those words together. So there we are, standing in front of the Jordan River. And yes, I was there. There's me. Um, the robes weren't exactly flattering. Uh, in fact, not that baptismal robes are supposed to be flattering. Uh, but on the way in, we stopped at the store. Our guide got off the bus and purchased, I guess, about 40 baptismal robes for $10 a piece. We talked them down from 15 I can guarantee you this baptismal robe did not cost half a cent. It's two, two pieces of cloth sewn together. There's an imprint on the front. I've got it in my office, so it's special. So I'll say it was worth the $10. But that's what we were all baptized in. Uh, there I am waiting um, in the Jordan River as the minnows nibbled at my toes. Now that's kind of the one, that's the one thing people are a little scared of when they first go in. That's legendary. The fact that the fish are all nibbling at your toes while you stand there in the Jordan River. It doesn't hurt, but it does feel a little strange. Um, so there I was waiting. Once again, that's Dr. Robert Canoy, the dean of, our, uh, uh, of the Divinity School at Gardner-Webb, and, and Dr. Anthony McVenneborg, uh, who is retired as the dean of the business school at Gardner-Webb, but still teaches there and has gone on this trip almost every year. So they are preparing to baptize me. They are uh, giving the same kind of litany for all of those who were baptized. Uh, and there I am going under. I did c come back out, by the way, as you can see by, by looking at me now. Uh, so we were baptized there in the Jordan River. And of course, you know where the Jordan River ends. It ends in the Dead Sea, which we'll talk about here momentarily. But Dr. McVenable made a, a good joke, and I think it's very true. He, he, one night he said, you know, I, I'm sad. I, I baptized you in the Jordan River. Your sins were washed away. And then you went and got in the Dead Sea and you picked them all back up again. So I'm actually no better off than before the time I was baptized in the Jordan River because I picked them right back up in the Dead Sea. This was the area outside of where we were baptized. You can see it's, it's, it's still kind of arid, but you see grass and vegetation around. You don't have to drive very far before you end up in a territory such as this. This is not a far drive um, from the region of Galilee. This is the Judean Desert. Some people ask, oh, was it all sandy, kind of like we see in the movies? No, this is a very rocky desert. It's very rocky. Um, there are remains of ancient oceans and lakes that are here, lots of different sorts of deposits around. Salt, of course, is prominent in that region as well. But this is the Judean desert that we drove through. It was over 100 degrees probably that day, although when we were at Qumran, it was in the 70s with a breeze, which is very rare. Uh, but there we are, the Judean desert, driving through. That's just another glimpse of really how arid and rocky it is. You would drive through. You would occasionally see bushes or a row of bushes along the side of the road. And so what, what that means is that there was some water source underground from the winter time when there is rain that falls on the mountains and falls into the desert. That water stays underground and provides some relief during these dry months. And so that's the only water really in the region unless it is irrigated in from somewhere else. One of the most fascinating places we visited is something you've heard of. It's not a biblical site. In fact, we're going to be talking about two non-biblical sites today, but we will tie them in as well. We visited a place called Qumran, 
And most of you know that Qumran is the place where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Qumran is situated on a hillside or on the side of a plateau just up from the Dead Sea. Qumran is where we found several ancient, in fact, all of the manuscripts of our Old Testament were found there, all the way dating back uh, from the time of Jesus. Um, the only book that was not there was the book of Esther, and do you know why? The book of Esther does not mention God. And so therefore, whatever that community decided, they decided that that book did not belong there. So Esther was not discovered, but all of the other books of our Old Testament uh, were found in Qumran, uh, once again, um, letting us know that at that time, our Old Testament was being used as canon, or was considered Old Testament canon at the time of Jesus. So when you read the Old Testament, you can have a pretty good indication or fairly strong faith, this is the Bible that Jesus read. There, there may be some differences here and there, but this is primarily the Bible that Jesus read. So Qumran is where those scrolls were found. Once again, it's not that there's still buildings standing, but there's lots of foundations of that city and where the people stayed. There was a lot found there. For instance, right now you're looking at stairs going down to a ritual bath where people would be cleansed before they would go to dinner or to something else. Now, this ritual bath thing may give you some idea of the kind of community that lived at Qumran. We believe that at Qumran, there was a sect of Jewish men called the Essenes. Some people believe John the Baptist was an Essene. He may have been, but if John the Baptist were an Essene, he would not have been out in the world proclaiming the good news because the Essenes were very withdrawn. They withdrew to this city on the side of a mountain in the desert, therefore guaranteeing that almost no one would bother them. They withdrew here because they were a Jewish sect that believed that the world was imminent. They believed there was no point in marriage. And they believed that they were holier than all of the other Jewish people. And so they withdrew to this city where they stayed. And so they were constantly taking part in ritualistic cleanings. So before they dined, for instance, they would take a bath. And it's not like where if you were working out in the yard and you, you want to take a bath before supper. That's not what we're talking about. They, they, they cleansed themselves before meals because they wanted to get that filth of the world off of them. So this is, for instance, one of the ritual baths that's left there at Qumran. But they would have probably kept, was probably this group that kept those Old Testament scrolls. It may have been some Jewish people who fled to the area who put those scrolls there. We're not exactly sure. But we do know that the Essenes lived in this community in the midst of the desert just up from the Dead Sea. What you're looking at here is just the hillside. You see some caves. And if you want to know how that scroll came to be found, in the 1940s there was a shepherd, a Bedouin boy, who was going through this area. And one of his animals had wandered up into a cave, into this very cave right here. And so he decided, uh, wasn't very kind, but he threw a rock up there to try to get the animal out. And instead of hitting the animal, he heard a shattering or he hit a pot. And so he went up there and found these pots that were full of scrolls, our Old Testament scrolls that we found. They would have looked something like this. These are not the originals. These are made to look like what he would have found. So we, he would have gotten up there to that cave, found these scrolls, and once again, these scrolls give testament to the fact that our Old Testament was being read and was considered authoritative at the time of Jesus. So that was what was special about Qumran. Once again, I was there. There I am. But you can see behind me the Dead Sea. Uh, I'm standing there, and so this isn't too far from the Dead Sea. Um, it's just up from it. Uh, of course, the Dead Sea, do you know why it's called the Dead Sea? The salinity or the salt is so high that nothing can live there. 
Now, the Jewish people of the region do not call it the Dead Sea. That's disrespectful. That's unclean. They call it the Salt Sea, which, of course, makes sense as well. And we'll get back to salt here momentarily. Like most people, we took a dip in the Dead Sea. Welcome to the lowest place on Earth. That's because the Dead Sea is 1,400 feet below sea level, which accounts for its, why it's so hot there. Uh, this was a beach on the Dead Sea. There are beaches all around the Dead Sea, both in Israel and in Jordan. Uh, we were, of course, on, we stayed on the Israel side, but we went to a beach, and so we took a dip in the Dead Sea. There's the beach right there. There are pictures of me covered in mud with all the salt in it, and I was not about to throw those up on the screen this morning. I want you to come back next week. I know, someone said, oh, come on, Jeremy. Well, if you come to my, I'll, I'll show you some pictures if you want to see them, but I, I, I wouldn't want to see those. There are pictures of me where we get in there and we cover ourselves in mud because the mud is full of salts and minerals that are good for the skin. And if any of you have used bath salts before and you've rubbed it on you, you know how smooth your skin is afterwards? Well, that's the Dead Sea. So we got in there, we were rubbing ourselves with mud. It was very irreverent, but we were all ministers, so it was okay. We were rubbing ourselves with the mud and afterwards our, our skin felt so good for two days. Valerie never got to experience how, how smooth my skin was because it wears off after a couple of days. But I don't know where I'm going with that, but anyway. <laughs> I brought her some salts back from the Dead Sea, by the way. Of course, as you can imagine, there's a gift shop of all kinds of salts and minerals from the Dead Sea that you can bring back. So I brought her some back legally. Some people try to take, they'll try to get their own and take it back, and that is not allowed. It's fascinating that this is called the Dead Sea because it is a dying sea. It's a dead sea because of the salinity, because it's so salty, nothing can live there. But the sea is dying before our eyes. In fact, you can see, if you could zoom in a little bit, you'll see ridges because the sea drops a meter every year. Uh, it's partly it's for a couple of reasons. One, it's because of just how naturally hot it is around that area, but it's also because of, of man-made reasons that this, this sea is uh, evaporating so quickly. We go down there, we take dips in it, we get all the salt, and so we're just contributing to the issue of the fact that the, the salt sea will not be there someday. It is evaporating quickly, um, but it is there. Uh, Jesus would have been familiar with this sea. In fact, everyone would have been familiar with this sea. We don't have a lot uh, in the Bible about that particular sea, but at least, at least as far as we know. We can talk about that momentarily. At one point, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And you kind of have to wonder. Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount after he returns from the temptation in the wilderness. And you kind of have to wonder, could Jesus have been wandering around the Judean desert? Maybe he saw the Dead Sea and said, salt. Hmm. That's fascinating, isn't it? So Jesus may not have mentioned the Dead Sea, but when he talks about salt and what it means, you kind of wonder if when he was out in the wilderness wandering around, seeing salt, knowing of the salt that was in the Dead Sea, it kind of makes you wonder if that gave you some, if that gave him some idea of how to relate to the people, how to talk to them about the, 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 what salt is and how poignant it is and how, how it means something in so many different ways. So it just kind of makes you wonder. This is part of the idea of the Bible coming to life. There are all kinds of ways we can look at the scripture and use our imaginations and wonder what Jesus may have been talking about. There may have been all kinds of references that Jesus made that we still have to discover. So this is something new I learned. Uh, I would have never thought that Jesus would have thought about the Dead Sea, and who knows, maybe he didn't have that in mind. But maybe he did. And that may just add to the effectiveness of the illustration of what it means to be salty. We'll get back to that momentarily. 
One more site I'd like to show you is called the ancient site of Masada. Once again, this is not a biblical site. It is not mentioned in the Bible. You're looking uh, below Masada. Masada is on top of that mesa range that you see right there, or that plateau. You can't see it. It's, it's an ancient Jewish fortress built by Herod, built by Herod. Herod had a palace up there, and so uh, it was very, very hard for anyone uh, to get to or to attack. It was almost invincible. But if you saw this movie, you know the story, and you know that it wasn't invincible, that the Romans eventually came up this hillside. In fact, they, they built up the hillside in order to attack the Jewish people, and once they got there, the remaining people living there had committed suicide, and that's a whole other story. But I don't know if you've seen this movie. This was a movie, actually it was a miniseries from the early 1980s called Masada with Peter, Peter O'Toole and Peter Strauss. That movie was made before my time, so I'm just going to leave you to, uh, maybe you saw it, I, I haven't seen it. Uh, so there was a movie about this particular area. Masada has a lot still there. This is what's fascinating. As I've told you, and as you've seen repeatedly week by week, a lot of what we see when we visit these biblical sites are just foundations or things along the floor, the foundations of the old buildings. There were still some fairly prominent walls still there. In fact, what's crazy is to find paintings that were still on the wall. You don't find paintings from 2,000 years ago that are still on a wall. But what you see here, these patterns on the wall, are part of the original paintings on the murals or the walls of the ancient city of Masada. It's special. There are all kinds of things that remain, stairwells into cisterns and baths and different kinds of rooms. We found baths with heating elements in them, so we know that they were heated. It was just truly fascinating get a glimpse of the ancient world and looking off the top of that range you can still see the Dead Sea there in the background you can see the arid climate there it also kind of makes you wonder this hidden city on top of a hill that seemed impenetrable that people would withdraw to so that they did not have to face the fears of the world Jesus says a city on a hill cannot be hidden it makes you wonder, when Jesus was wandering out in the Judean desert, if he saw Masada on the top of that mesa or that top of that plateau, or maybe he saw Qumran, a, a community that sought to withdraw and to hide itself. It makes you wonder if Jesus came back, and when he said, you know what, there are some cities that you know of that are built on a hill, or there are some cities that you know of that are built on top of something that people aren't supposed to see, you think you can hide a city on a hill? It just makes you wonder, does Jesus have Masada or Qumran on his mind when he used this illustration to talk about what it means to be the light of the world or to be the salt of the world? If I were to call you salty, if I were to say that you are the salt of the earth, those have two very different meanings. If you're a person, you've called someone, they're just good salt of the earth folks. Have you ever used that phrase before? It means down to earth, hardworking, approachable, honest. It's a compliment. Well, sometimes you may have been in a conversation or you may have been talking with someone and say, why so salty? Why are you so salty? Because salty almost means like an aggressive kind of speech or maybe a little irritated and lashing out. Some people might say that John the Baptist was that way. 
one who would have wandered in this salty region. I would suggest that there are times when both kinds of saltiness should be taken on. In fact, maybe we should seek to be both kinds of salty. We should be hardworking folks for the sake of the kingdom. We should be approachable and down to earth. In other words, we shouldn't be so far removed or withdrawn or above others in the world around us. We should be able to take the gospel to our neighbors in a way that is relatable and ways where people can understand us and when we're honest and forward. But there also may be times where, maybe in a respectful way, we need to be a little bit more aggressive with the truths of the kingdom that we preach. Sometimes I think us Christians like to withdraw. We like to be that city on a hill that gets away from the world around us because we don't want to have to interact with, we don't want to have to encounter some of the challenges of the world around us. So we withdraw to this city on a hill that we sometimes call our church walls. And we cleanse ourselves in here. We give ourselves pats on the back. But Jesus calls us to be salty. Jesus says, if you are truly a light, if you are a city of light, if you are a people of light, you cannot be hidden. I think Jesus is saying that if we are to follow him, we are to live for the kingdom. If we are to live out those truths of the kingdom that Jesus shows us, then we're going to be a little salty. We're going to give taste to the gospel. We're also going to give light to the gospel. If we are truly living out what Jesus says, then we cannot hide ourselves. And so that's the question that I ask you today. Are we salty in all of the best ways? Are we a city trying to hide ourselves from others? Are we a city of light that brings the good news of Jesus Christ clearly to our neighbors? Let's think about those things today. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the call that you have placed on our lives to be salt and light. We wonder if Jesus was referring to the withdrawn religious community at Qumran who were so far and away more holy than everyone else that they withdrew and lost their saltiness, their inability to affect the world around them for the kingdom of God. We wonder if Jesus had Masada in mind, a city that withdrew and believed it was untouchable when he shared these truths in the Sermon on the Mount. You've given us something to ponder today, O Lord. Are we more like Jesus returning to the region of Galilee, entering the cities and towns and synagogues, teaching the truth of the kingdom, healing and showing compassion? Or are we more like a group that withdraws to the hills? Teach us to be more like Jesus and his disciples who went from city to city, who went from region to region, preaching the truths of the kingdom of God, not shying away, From those truths, not afraid, but being bold and courageous and showing compassion and mercy 
and grace and love to those whom society had pushed aside. We ask that you would challenge us, that you would send us to do the same thing here in Black Mountain and in North Carolina and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.